him. This is the last week of Jesus' life. So he's, he's ridden into Jerusalem on the donkey, said, hey, hey, I'm the king. He's gone to the temple and wreaked havoc. He's turned over the tables, the money changers' tables. He's driven out everyone who's buying and selling. A key picture for us a few weeks ago was this cursing of the fig tree, this idea that Jesus is saying this whole religious system, it, there's no fruit there. And so it's about to be judged by God. And then the Pharisees, the temple leaders say, who's given you the right to do all this stuff? We, we kind of run this show. Who's given you the right to come and do this? And Jesus gives them some parables. We looked at two of them last week, if you remember, parable of the two sons. A father goes to two of his kids and says, hey, I need y'all to go plow the field. And the first, the first son says, I'm not going to go, and then he does it. The second son says, I'm going to go, and then he doesn't. The, 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 one who did his, the one who did his father's will was the first son, the one who initially said no, but ultimately went to the field and did the work. The picture there for us with the religious leaders is Jesus is saying, the guys who y'all think are, are left out, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, those who initially said no, they're the ones saying yes now. They're actually doing their father's will in a way that y'all aren't. Those of you who made the promises, who made the commitments, you're the religious leaders, but you're not, there's no follow through here. And then he tells this parable of the landowner, this guy, he owns some land and he rents it to some tenants and he goes to, he sends some servants to collect rent and they treat his servants poorly and he sends his son and they kill his son. And the, the catch phrase for that, the tagline is this idea, he says, I'm going to take the kingdom from y'all and give it to people who will bear its fruit. We talked about Jesus being the cornerstone and the capstone and all of that last week. And both of those parables and the one we're going to look at this morning, there's two themes that are being communicated. One is the judgment of the current religious system, and the other is the, the, the opening of the way to God from people who've been, who've been considered unreachable. So what he's doing is he's setting aside this, this system that the Jewish religious leaders have set in place. He's saying there's no fruit here. There's no fruit from this. That's a broad generalization. That's what he's saying. There's no fruit here in this temple structure. The religious leaders, y'all aren't getting it. And so I'm, I'm doing away with you, judgment for you. That's the cursing of the fig tree. And then I'm, I'm turning, I'm opening a way for tax collectors, for prostitutes, for people who y'all consider sinners. And we'll see today, even for Gentiles, for people who are considered cut off from God, Jesus is saying there's a day coming where they're going to have access as well. I'm going to read this parable to you. I'll stop periodically to kind of fill in some blanks in terms of what's going on culturally and then we'll try to look at what it means for us. So I hope, I hope this isn't too choppy of a reading. So Jesus spoke to them. That's this same crowd. He's in the temple court speaking to the religious leaders, his disciples, and everyone else who's gathered in the temple in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king, in this case God is the king, who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So the picture there, wedding banquet given by a king, Huge deal. Lasted for up to seven days. Expectation, if the king invites you, you say yes. There's a two-stage invitation process. So the first is kind of like a save-the-date deal. There's a wedding reception on July 28th. And so these invitations would go out, and of course you're all going to say yes because it's the king inviting you. And then when everything was ready, it wasn't like he made a Costco run. He had to kill a bunch of animals to get the food ready for everything. He needed to know who's coming, and then he has to prepare. When everything's ready, then he sends the servants back to tell everyone who RSVP'd yes, now's the time. And so the expectation is, you've already said yes, and so now I'm sending my servant to say, now's the time, and you're going to come with my servants to the feast that you've already agreed to come to. 
And it says they refused to come. And we know in this story that they who refused to come, that's, that's the Jewish religious leaders. They're the ones. They, they haven't responded to God's grace. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited. That word invited can also, it's called. Tell those who have been invited or called that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the, bedding, the wedding banquet. They paid no attention and went off, one to his field, one to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So that's harsh for saying no to a party. Some of you who maybe are, who've tried to host something, you probably wish you could do that when people don't RSVP. But that's it's treason. The way you treat a servant, that's how you treat the, the, the servant is a representative of the one sending him. And so if you're going to treat the servant that way, that reflects on your feelings towards the king. And so if you're willing to, to mistreat, even kill the servants, and that, that's a treasonous heart, that means you're not loyal to the king. And so he takes care of them. For us, the parable picture is there, there's judgment. At some point, there are consequences for rejecting the offer of the king. He says to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. They weren't worthy. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. So the servants went out into the streets. They gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see what they were wearing, or excuse me, to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. The king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, seems like a pretty strong response to somebody not wearing the right thing. Uh, it's pretty offensive at this point. So for the king, for somebody to not be dressed appropriately. So again, the picture, the ones who had already said yes wind up not coming. And so then this king sends out his servants to round up whoever's left. So that's the, he says the good and the bad. He's just pulling people in. They're not appropriately attired custom would be for the host, in this case the king, to provide proper clothes. So when you get there, he's got something for you to wear. And so for this guy to refuse to wear that, again, it's offensive to the king and there's judgment there. For many are invited, but few are chosen. That's a Semitic way of saying for all are invited, but less than all are chosen. All are invited, but not everybody responds to the invitation. So that's kind of what's going on here in this parable. Uh, what does it look like for us? I'm going to give you three categories. You might not like putting yourself in a bucket, but I'm going to ask you to. I'm going to give you three categories, and we'll kind of talk through what these look like and where we are. My encouragement would be not to look at this strictly in the sense of, am I a Christian? Have I been saved? Kind of that, but look more, where am I standing right now? Both of those are important questions, but for some of you, I think probably the more important question is, where are you this morning versus where are you in this global sense? in terms of salvation. So, three categories. One is the resistant. Those are the people in verses 1 through 7, that, these folks who were invited and they don't, they, they just, they don't show up. It says in verse 3, what does it say? They refused to come. That is, uh, they didn't, they didn't want to come. There was no desire in them. So if this invitation, let's just say that, that that's God's grace to us. He's extending grace to us. And for some of us, we just don't care. There's nothing in us that really responds to God in that way. We just, we, if we were honest, we'd say there's no desire in me. I don't, I don't want to go to the party. I don't want to fill in the blank in terms of responding to God's grace. Now, to me, and I, I'm biased, obviously, that's a dangerous 
position to take. You're, you're refusing, resisting, at some point rejecting the grace of the king. And there are consequences to that. I'm not trying to scare you into anything. I'm saying there, there's a reality there. If this parable has any truth, then there's, a, there's the picture there that at some point there are consequences for continually resisting to the point of rejecting the grace of God. And so my encouragement to you, if you, would be, if you were honest this morning and say, that's me, I'm resistant to the grace of God in my life. Whether that's overall, I've never said yes to Jesus or on these, these particular issues of obedience, I'm resisting his grace to me. I would say you need to ask God, ask, just take a week, seven days, and say, God, I don't, I don't want to come to the party. If it's a big deal for me to be there, then I pray that you would help me want to. Stir something in me, some hunger, some thirst, some want to, some desire. Just do something in here so that I can respond to this invitation that you've given me. Then it says when the servants go out again, it says they paid no attention. They went off. They were distracted. This same parable uh, appears in Luke 14, and Luke lines out, here are, the, here are the excuses that they gave. It says, one of them, I just bought a field, and I must go see it. That, to me, is kind of work-related. For some of you, you're not responding to this invitation, this grace of God, because you're distracted. There's something with your job or your career. It's kind of getting in the way. I don't know if in your mind uh, it would cost you your job or your career if you were to respond to the grace of God. That very well may be the case. I don't know if you're just so busy and so focused on your job and career. There's no room for the grace. Of, there's, there's no room for this invitation. It doesn't register in your mind because you're, you're putting everything you've got into your job or your career. The second guy, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm, and I'm on my way to try them out. That's just stuff. It's possessions. In the parable of the soils, Jesus says one of the things that chokes out the kingdom is our desire for other things and the deceitfulness of wealth. And where we live, we know that's 100% the case. There's so much stuff and we have so much stuff. That, like if I were to say, have you responded to the invitation to the grace of God? You say, I've never even heard it. Because there's so many, you've got so many things going on. You're so busy. Again, it's, it's, it's distraction. I just got married, so I can't come. Is there a relational obstacle for you? Is there family, friends? Is there something there where for you to respond positively to this invitation, for you to go to the party, for you to say, to receive his grace? Is it going to cost you relationally? Is it going to put you at odds with somebody? All of those things are legitimate concerns. Jesus says, listen, you got to, in comparison to your love for me, you've got to hate everybody else. Mom, dad, brother, sister, wife, kids, whoever. You hate them all compared to loving me. That's a legit thing. He says if you don't consider, he says if you're not willing to lay down your life to die to yourself, then you can't follow me. If you're, if you're wrestling through some of these objections, I'll say they're, they're, those are legitimate. It will cost you everything to say yes to his grace. There was a missionary in the early 19, 1950s. His name was Jim Elliott, and he went to an Indian tribe in Ecuador. And he famously wrote in 1949, he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. He wrote that in 1949, and he was killed in 1956 by these Indians he was trying to reach. And that statement is still true. It was true when he wrote it, and it was true when they killed him. He's no fool. He gave up what he couldn't keep, his life. He, he was married. He had a young kid. He gave up all of that. But he couldn't keep it anyway in order to gain what he couldn't lose. 
which is eternal life. And that's not just eternal life when I die. That's right now, abundant life. John 10.10, abundant life here and now. So if you're weighing, if you're thinking, I've got, the, I've got legitimate reasons. You may, you may very well have reasons. And what I want to say to you is don't hold on to something that you're going to lose anyway. If it's going to cost you something that you can never lose in any way. The resistance. Second, it's this guy. I don't have a nice word for him. It's imposter. That's not a good word because that's where a lot of us live and we won't want to say. We're, so think of something better and tell me. But um, that, that's this guy in verse 11 through 13. He responds, but then he's not wearing the right clothes. And again, for us, we're like, I mean, look at us. Not y'all. Y'all look great. But, you know, in general, you're going, we don't. We don't, we don't do that necessarily. I've never been to a wedding where somebody showed up in shorts and a T-shirt. We wouldn't throw them out. We would maybe say, no, that's not going to happen. It, but it's his wardrobe. It's, it's inappropriate and it's offensive. And again, the king had provided the clothes, but for whatever reason, this guy doesn't wear them. Maybe he feels like he's not worthy of the king's clothes. He's too dirty or something like that. Or maybe he feels like he's too worthy for the king's clothes. He's like, hey, listen, I look good. I don't need, I don't need your clothes. I got my own sense of style or Whatever that is, for whatever reason, he refuses these clothes that are given to him, and it's the appropriate things for him to wear. And again, there's consequences. We've talked the past couple of weeks, this idea that Jesus is hammering in this section is fruit. Where is it? What are the results of you? What, are the, what, what, what is flowing from your connection to God? What is flowing from this grace that's supposed to be moving in you. He looks at the religious leaders and says, y'all are saying all the right things. There's nothing here. You're like this tree and there's no fruit on it. So it's worthless. And so there's this picture. Again, we're not trying to earn our salvation, but for Jesus, there's a, a very real issue when there is no fruit. This is Revelation 19. It's another picture of a wedding banquet. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah for the our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's us. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. So you have that picture there. There's a wedding feast, just like in our parable, and there's clothes. The bride, that's us. Those are the people who respond to this invitation. The clothes, what does it say they are? The righteous acts of the saints. That, to me, sounds like stuff that I do. That's fruit from my life. When we've talked before, John 15, 1 through 8, if I'm abiding in Christ, there will be fruit. It's just about guaranteed. I'm going to say it's guaranteed. Based on the way I read John 15, 1 through 8, there's going to be stuff that comes from that. But notice what it also says. It says these things were given them to where you see this interplay between God's grace and our obedience like there's a a big part of me that thinks oh those are the right those are righteous acts of that I do that's what I'm doing it's righteous acts of the saints as a christian I'm called a saint so are you so these are the things that I'm doing and and that is 100% true and it's also 100% true that those things are given to me just like in the parable the king provided the clothes the guy didn't have to bring his own stuff the issue is he didn't put on what the king had given him and so you see this interplay between God's grace, what he gives us, and our response or our obedience, what we're doing. And, those, and both of them are true 
equally at the same time, which is difficult for us. We want 50-50. God's 100%, 100%. It doesn't work. The math doesn't work in our heads. But that's what you see here in this picture in Revelation. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So you see this picture. We're saved by grace. That's God's unmerited, undeserved favor. None of us deserve to be forgiven. None of us deserve to be adopted. None of us deserve to be reconciled to him. And yet he makes the offer and says, here, I'm going to do all of these things for you. But he doesn't cram any of it down our throats. Those things are accessed by or through or via via our faith. It rains outside. I don't make it rain. But if I want to get wet, I've got to go stand out there. That's the picture for us. There's God's grace is available to all, but are we grabbing onto it? You're drowning in the ocean and someone's thrown you a rope. You still got to gotta hold on to it. That's your faith, the grabbing onto the rope that somebody freely tossed out to you. That's this picture in Ephesians of the way God's grace and our faith or our trust or our belief connect. Same picture from Revelation of what's been given to us and this acts of righteousness given by God and our acts of righteousness, how one thing can be called both, two different perspectives. From one perspective, it's given by God. From another, it's, it's what I've done. One of our theme verses here, Ephesians 2.10, says we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do the good works he has created in advance for us to do. So the things that I'm doing are the things that he's created in advance for me to do. I still have to do them, but he's made them for me to do. You see how that fits together. Two places in Genesis, I think it's 38, says that God gives success to Joseph in everything that he's done. Again, you see this interplay. God's giving the success, but if Joseph isn't doing anything, then there's no there's nothing for God to bless. There's no, there's no way for God to give success if Joseph isn't actively engaged and actively cooperating with what he's doing. You see the interplay between those things. Difficult to get our minds around, but there's truth here for us. And so this imposter, for whatever reason, he's not, he won't put on the clothes. There's no, there's no fruit there. It would be another way of saying that for us, trying to apply the parable. There's no fruit. This fruit that God gives us that's also things that we do. However you want to describe, it's not there for us. And then you have the chosen in verse 14. And the difference between the chosen and the imposter is just their clothes. It's what they're wearing. That's it. And you see how faith, we talked about how faith and works connect. And as I begin to believe and receive this grace, then something happens in me. John 6, 29 says, this is the work. So we're talking about these acts of righteousness. This is, the, this is your work, to believe in Jesus. That's not intellectual assent. That's not, can I pass the test on who Jesus is? It's relational trust. Do, am I believing? Am I trusting in him relationally? Trust always. There's always evidence of trust. It, uh, there's always fruit from that. For me to say I'm trusting you implies that there's a gap between where I am and what you're asking me to do. And that, that trust, sometimes it's just waiting Sometimes it's stepping out. There's, there's fruit there. There's a step to be taken. That trust in Jesus, that there's, a, there's a work that's done in me. As I believe in him and receive his grace, I take on a new identity. 1 John 5 one says, anyone who, who believes in Christ is born of God. He came to that which was his own. This is John 1. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, 
He gave the right to become children of God. That sounds like our parable. He came to those, he came to that which was his own, or he came to those who were his own, but his own did not receive him. That kind of sounds like those first seven verses, right? The resistant. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Here's a slide. This is just a few things that, that you can see. Before I've believed, I'm, I'm far away. After I've believed, I've been brought near. Before I was darkness. After I'm light in the Lord. Before I was alienated from God and an enemy in my mind. After I've been reconciled by Jesus' physical body to be presented. So now I'm holy. I'm without blemish. I'm free from accusation. Before, I was not a people. I had not received mercy. After, I am the people of God. And I have received mercy. Those are identity statements. And the shift between once you were, but now you are. The shift is, I've received the grace of God. I've believed. I'm trusting. That's it. That's my work, is to believe in Him. So that, that's what separates the right side from the... That's what moves me from the left side to the right side. Trusting, believing, receiving... The grace of God. And then from this new identity becomes new activity. We say that. Identity precedes activity, but activity always flows from identity. This is Colossians 3. Identity statements on the left, activity statements on the right. I've been raised with Christ. That's an identity statement. I'm no longer dead in my sins. I'm alive in Jesus. So I need to set my heart and my mind on things above. Identity statement. I'm dead. My life is now hidden with Christ in God. So what do I do with that? So I put to death whatever belongs to my earthly nature. And then it lists these things. I used to walk in those ways. That's my old identity. That's who I used to be. So now I need to rid myself of those old things. That's not me anymore. You see how identity and activity are tied together. Sometimes for us, we said living in the Bible Belt in the South, we got lots of people who try to, they, they go backwards. So you cuss and you don't want to cuss, so you put a rubber band around your wrist and you snap yourself every time you do it. That hurts. And so maybe because you don't like pain, you quit cussing. It doesn't change your heart a lick. Not one bit. The same thing that made, you're still a cusser. They're just not coming out anymore. It's the same thing. You haven't, you've changed your behavior, you haven't changed your heart because guess what? You can't change your heart. We don't need to become better people. We're dead and we need life. We can't do that. The identity, left side's got to come before right side. Can we see the next one? I've taken off my old self and I put on my new self. Identity statement. So I'm not supposed to lie to each other. I'm, um, identity statement. God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Activity that comes from that. Clothe myself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with everybody. Forgive everybody. And above all, put on love. Sometimes we try to do the stuff on the right without the thing on the left. It doesn't work for us. It doesn't work for anyone. Identity has to come first. Once the, once the identity is, once you get that, once you've incorporated that into your heart, once you've received his grace, then out of that comes all of this activity. What he's saying to this imposter, you said yes to the, but the, you said yes to the invitation. You seem to have responded to grace. There's no evidence of that. Some of you theologically would say, well, then you've never responded to grace. Others of you would say, well, they responded and they walked away. I don't care. The end result is the same. 
It's someone who's on the outside looking in, who doesn't have to be at all. There's no fruit. There's no evidence that, 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 that grace has taken root in this person's life. There's no evidence that the Holy Spirit is active in this person's life. Let me give you three pictures. You've got a dry riverbed, you've got a dammed up river, and you've got a flowing river. If I make you put yourself in a picture, are you a dried up riverbed this morning? Are you resistant to the grace of God? If you were to say, you know what, I, I am. If you would come in and you, and you would say, yeah, I don't, there's not a whole lot going on in here. Very well could be that you're resistant to the grace of God. Maybe you've made some initial response to God's grace, but there's no, there's no fruit. There's nothing coming out. Maybe not in every area of life, but in particular areas, you would say, yeah, I'm a damned river. I've got to be careful about that. So you're a damned up river. And so nothing, nothing is flowing for you. Or are you a healthy river? And if you are, then say it. And don't be that false humility to say you're not if you are. That's where we all want to be. The, the beauty for us is these aren't static categories. It's a, it can be a continuum for us. It can be a growth curve for us. Every one of us starts off dry. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. No one does good. No one seeks God. Not even one. All of us, even after, all of us have been a dried up riverbed. The glory is you don't have to stay there. There's this invitation that's been given to everybody. What does it say? He invites the good and the bad. You're one or the other. You're good or you're bad, and he's invited you to the banquet because he's chosen to invite you to the banquet. And so you can respond to his grace this morning. And for some of us, we would say we're kind of stuck in that second picture. We've made some response to God, but if we're honest, we would say there's not a whole lot of evidence Great news, this parable happens at the end of time. It's not happening today. You're not getting tied up and thrown out today. There's opportunity for you to cooperate with what God wants to do in you and through you today. All you have to do is recognize, you know what? I've got some blockages. I've put some blockages up. I've got some sinful attitudes. I've got some sinful behavior patterns. I've got, I struggle with vain, with selfish ambition and vain conceit, or I struggle with realizing that God wants to use me or I'm too busy, whatever the thing is. There's a reason. There's a river in you if you're a Christian. John 7, there's streams of living water that should be coming out of you. We should all be that last picture. And if we're not, then there's, there's a dam that we've put up. And again, the great news is God will tear it down once you ask him to. God, this is my, I need you to, I need you to tear this dam down. I need this river to flow my family or my work or my community or whatever that is. I want to see fruit. Remember we said it's guaranteed. You're abiding in him. You'll see fruit in every area of your life. And it's not fruit that you try to produce. It's what God does through you. You cooperate with him. The righteous acts of the saints. He gives to you. It's the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what he produces if given a chance, as long as we're, if we're not dry and we're not holding him back, it sounds weird, how can we hold back God? He's chosen to cooperate with us. And if we're not cooperating, th- th- there's nothing there. There's no fruit coming. Where would you put yourself this morning? And where do you want to move? We're going to close with communion and some ministry. The way we take communion here at Stonebridge 
is you'll come forward a row at a time. You'll break off a piece of bread and you'll dip it in the juice. We do have some gluten-free up here on this table. If you need that, if you're on this side, just break through the line and get over here. Um, one of the things that we like to do during communion is uh, pray for people who are physically ill. Psalm 103 says, God forgives us of all of our sins, heals us of all of our diseases. So we want to make a point uh, to pray. So if, you're, if you've got a condition, whether it's chronic or just something that, you know, acute, something just now, we'll have ministry elders up here in the corners, and they'll pray for you. They're just going to make a little cross on your hand with oil. That's in James. It says, have the elders anoint you with oil and pray. And they're just going to pray a simple prayer for God to heal you, and we'll look for him to do that. Uh, communion's... Uh, multiple ways of looking at communion. For this morning, I think we can see it as, a, as an appetizer, as a foretaste of this banquet. You're going to get a little bitty piece of bread that's going to be dipped in grape juice, which is nothing like a seven-day feast, which is nothing, which the seven-day feast is nothing like this eternal banquet that we see in Revelation 19 that every one of us is invited to. Poor, crippled, lame, blind, your rebellious younger son, you're invited, you're a prideful older son, you're invited. You're someone who said no. You're invited. You're someone who said yes and you're not doing it. You're invited. We're all invited. It's the gospel. It's this, this invitation. All are invited. And he's saying, just, just receive the grace that I have for you this morning. And so if you find yourself not where you want to be, you say, you know, I'm not, I'm not that flowing river. I want you to receive that grace into your life this morning and see communion as a tangible sign that says, see, you're invited to this banquet. And all of the resources that you need are present there. We're going to try something here. I'm going to be quiet for one minute, and I want you to listen to the Lord. And I want uh, whatever he says to you, I just want you to respond to that. And if you say, God didn't say anything to me, I'm going to be over there and I'll pray for you because he did. He's, he's always talking. We just miss him because he doesn't talk like James Earl Jones. He doesn't. That's not what he sounds like for us. It's going to be a picture. It's going to be a thought. It's going to be quick. Like, honestly, I've been trying to do this for 20-something years, and I can't say that God's ever given me more than a bumper sticker at any one time. I'm not the guy that gets like 17 pages of revelation. At a t so don't listen for that. One word, a feeling, a thought, a picture. And just want you to grab onto that and recognize, again, there's this idea of God's inviting you in to what he's doing. It's not going to be condemning. If it's condemning, it's not from him. That's not the way he talks. It may be convicting, but it won't be condemning. It's going to be an encouragement to you, again, to, to come to this banquet, to participate with what he's trying to do in your life. Ready, go.
good. And I'm serious. If you would say, I don't really feel like the Lord spoke to me. I want to pray for you. There's nothing more frustrating than being in a relationship and you can't hear the other person talk. So it doesn't mean you're defective at all. I just want to pray just for God to speak to you. So uh, communion teams, if you guys would come. Ministry teams, ministry elders, all you guys. That's lots of people up here. Y'all come on. I'm going to pray. Uh, Bo will dismiss us when we're done. We'll pray with you about anything you have going on in your life. Physical illness, for sure. We want to anoint you with oil. And then anything else you've got going on, uh, either in response to this message or something that God put in your heart as you were quiet, we would love the chance uh, to pray uh, with you and for you. So you guys can stand. I'll say a prayer, and then Bo will lead us in. You didn't get it. You didn't get the thing. Subtitle. Okay. God, we do thank you that, you're, uh, that you desire relationship from us. Sometimes I think we would all prefer kind of the get-out-of-hell-free card that we can just show it the, when we die, but that's not what you're about. You didn't die to save us from hell. You died to save us for yourself. You're looking for a relationship from us. And so, Lord, I do pray that we would all uh, more and more learn to hear your voice, learn to sense how you're speaking to us and how you're leading us, not in some kooky, super spiritual way, but in a we're living life with people, and we want to do that on mission, tracking with you and what you're saying to us. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you for his death. We thank you for his resurrection. We thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, we have access to you, Father. We thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, all of our sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. We thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, the works of the devil are being destroyed in our life. We thank you that because of the blood of Jesus, we can be reconciled to you and made whole this morning. And so we want to receive those things, all of those benefits into our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I will call upon your name 
keep my eyes above the waves When oceans rise My soul will rest in your embrace For I am yours And you are mine Oh, you are mine Jesus Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me. Where my trust is without borders Let me walk upon the waters Wherever you would call me Take me deeper than my feet could ever wonder And my faith will be made stronger In the presence of my Savior Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders Let me walk upon the waters Wherever you would call me Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander And my faith will be made stronger In the presence of my Savior Spirit, lead me where my trust is Borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wonder. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Precious love, and who is love? 